0: Good morning, family, good to see you guys. Hope your brackets are going well today. Uh, not, gonna, not gonna say that I wasn't a little disappointed about a result of a game that started around 9.40 last night. So if you are a Purdue fan in here, that was directed at you, so. Uh, hey, good morning. Uh, today we're gonna start a, a new series here uh, called Favorites. We're gonna spend the next three weeks as we kind of uh, bridge the gap up to April 9th with our spring family f- uh, feast service our baptism service, and we're going to bridge that gap with a series called Favorites. We're going to, me, Chad, and Craig are going to talk about some of our p- favorite pieces of scripture, um, pieces of scripture out of the Bible that have encouraged us or challenged us or molded us in some ways. And then we're going to share some of the wisdom that God maybe has pulled out of us and given to us during those times that he used those scriptures to shape us. So excited to see how God might use that series. So just to give you uh, just a little update on the Serbal household, if you didn't know this or not, we're uh, anticipating and growing in anxiety over the birth of our second child. It's set somewhere at the end of April, beginning of May. Not fully 100% sure when that's going to happen. My wife went 43 weeks last time. 40 weeks is a normal gestation. Uh, so we're, we're in flux. But we're excited about what's going to happen. And I, as I think about these things, I start to reflect on the moments after. Uh, Camille's birth, my youngest daughter, and I began to grow in anticipation for those things. One of my favorite things that I get to do with my little girl is at the moments after her birth, and even to this day, is just to, to hold her, like just, and, and parents, you can, you can speak to this, just to hold them, and just to sit in that stillness of that space, and like no noises are spoken, and you don't speak anything, there's no words spoken, but you just kind of stare at them, And and you just enjoy that moment. And then there's that moment that happens that their eyes lock onto yours. And like you just stare at each other. Like that's a sweet moment in my life. And you know in that moment that you're communicating all the things that you need to say without using any verbiage. Like you're telling your kid like, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to take great uh, lengths to direct you and guide you. I'm going to love you with all of my heart. You say more through your stillness and that stare than you ever could speak by your words alone. And so that is a sweet moment, memorable moments, and I'm looking forward to those moments with our next child. Today, I want to expand and kind of think about and teach about this, this aspect of stillness that has to be present in our life, this, this area of silence and, and standing in position in front of God and humbling ourselves uh, I want to, to teach out of uh, a chapter out of the book of Psalms, Psalms 46. Uh, inside this piece of wisdom literature, as God would say, uh, I have learned the, uh, the need to be still and silent in front of the Father. Much like my daughter, we need times where we stand still in front of our Father and remember who He is. That we would remember His care and His protection, His peace and His provision in our own lives as we are still. And so we need to develop this ability to step back or remove ourselves from the pace and the busyness of life. And you guys know the craziness that life sometimes brings that we would would step back and center ourselves on the love that our Father has for us. And so this psalm has been an important part of my life. It is a a psalm that has marked me in very deep and profound ways. There are times in my life that I have been discouraged, overwhelmed, uh, defeated, depressed, that these uh, attributes and these uh, characteristics of God that this author speaks about in Psalm 46 have brought me great comfort and great wisdom. It's something that I find valuable today uh, something I found valuable in my past, and it certainly is something that will mark my life in the future. And so today, I want to take some time to identify what these attributes, what these characteristics that we see in this psalm are that the author paints, and then I want to take that uh, a lens and turn it back to ourselves. I want to take the lens uh, of this scripture and turn it back to ourselves and understand what we get to be in this mess. So we're going to look at what, what God gets to be and then what we get to be and then i hope today that you might leave here today with a with a better understanding of the vastness and the size of our god and then our capacity and responsibility inside of his immensity so let's pick up the word today we'll just start off today reading through psalm 46 I promise that you will be encouraged to this. These are great words that were written by a profound man. This is written by King David, who is considered to be the greatest king of all the Jewish kings. Psalm 46 kind of comes out of this crucible of extreme adversity in which God delivers David. And David pins these words soon after all these affairs are over. So Psalm 46 says, our God is our refuge and strength God will help her when morning dawns, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still, and know that I am God. I will, exalt my, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so before we jump into this and expand on the, the characteristics that we spe- see of God in this verse, I want to speak um, about a few barriers that gets in our way when we identify God as our father. The Bible paints a very accurate picture of God being a father. It correlates this idea of a close and intimate relationship with a male authority or head of the family. And there are certain attributes that our father gives to us. He's a compassionate God. He's a caring God. He's a giving God. He's a loving God. And God, who created us in his image, has an expectation that earthly fathers would reflect in the same way these types of attributes. Now, the problem is, is that when sin and death enters the world through our disobedience, us choosing our own way rather than God, there were a lot of things that were broken, and the role of an earthly father was one of those things. I have said this before on stage, that your father would have been everything that you hoped he would have been if not for the fact that he was broken. And that is not letting your dads off the hook for their actions or inactions. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just speaking about some reality in this situation. I just want us to understand us. Many of us in this room have had tremendous fathers who have shown us these things type of characteristics they have loved us well in life they have been a tremendous asset for us but many of us in this room did not and when we speak about the characteristics of a father in this way we can lack the perception and the context to ever see God in that manner and so today if that is you I would just ask that you would give yourself the freedom today to separate yourself from the reality of your earthly father And embrace an idea of a God, our Father, who does not share in the same brokenness and dysfunction that your earthly father did. That you would allow yourself to step back from that understanding and see God with new eyes today. And so let's pull out four characteristics, four attributes that we see this author writing about, David writing about God. He opens up with a reminder that our God gets to be our refuge and strength. God gets to be our refuge and strength. A refuge, is a, a refuge is a shelter from trouble, danger, or pursuit. And so what comes to your brain when you think of this word refuge? It's not a word that we commonly maybe use in our English dialect or, or vocabulary. What comes to your brain? Is it a picture of this kind of imposing building with lots of locks on it to keep you safe or this like thick walled fortress or maybe it's just a, a canopy that you go under when it's raining outside for me the image of a refuge in my head always gets pictured like, a, like a, a ship in the sea that's being rattled by the winds and the waves and it finds the safety of a calm and silent waters in the harbor That's an idea of a refuge in my head. But whatever picture comes to your brain, we can agree that it's a safe place for us, for us to draw our strength, for those who would anchor inside of it. And so when the Bible describes God as our refuge, it is saying that he is our safe place when we need protection and we need strength. And so knowing God as that refuge and strength frees us up to trust him more freely. We need not to fear situations or people who threaten our well-being, whether it be physical or in a spiritual sense, because there is no situation that we might fear that is outside of the control of God. And so King David, who is written about immensely in the Old Testament and is the author of the majority of the Psalms, is a great example of somebody who knows God personally as his refuge and his strength. At different points in David's life, he is constantly on the run from people who are literally trying to kill him. But he always finds a way, finds safety in the arms of God. In Psalm 62, Psalm 62, David cries out and says, "For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken." On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. And just like David, as he pours this out to the Father, when we turn our hearts toward God and pour out our heart toward the Father, we begin to see him as our refuge and our strength in that action. In this passage, this, uh, this, this opening line, our God is our refuge and our strength, is followed up with this therefore, there's a word therefore, and we always have to take note, anytime in the Bible there's a therefore, you need to pay a special, or a, a, a different level of attention to what they're saying. It says, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And when you picture the most stable thing on this earth, does not a mountain rise to the top of your list? Is there anything else on this earth that you could picture stability in besides a mountain? It's there, it does not move. You can't knock it over with your car. And what God would say to you is this, that we should not fear even if the mountains would be thrown into the heart of the sea because God is still our rock. He is still our refuge and our strength. And so, friends, can I ask you this? What is the most stable thing in your life? Is it your marriage? Is it a relationship that you have with somebody? Is it your finances? Is it your reputation? What this piece of scripture would tell us is that even if that was severed from you or disappeared, that we do not need to fear because our God is our refuge and our strength. He's our refuge and our strength. God gets to be that. God gets to be that. And why should we not fear? Why should we not fear? Well, it leads us into our second attribute of God. God gets to be a very present help in times of trouble. I think sometimes we have this kind of context of a God who is way up there, and we are way down here, and there is a disconnect between God and ourselves, that that we view him as some sort of cosmic killjoy that just sips up there. But just think about this for a moment. Of all the world's religions that we, we know, in all the origin theories, Jesus Christ is the only instance when God Himself comes down and dwells with His creation in their own capacity and limitations. That Jesus Christ comes in the human form, and by doing so, he connects with his creation in a way that through his personal example helps us walk into the freedom of the life that he has to offer us. And then he cures and remedies our brokenness through the death and the resurrection on the cross. What does that communicate about a God that is willing to sit in your mess? What What would our God not do? to walk with us, to help us to to remove the burdens in our lives. There's nothing. And that is true today, that is true tomorrow, and it was true in our past. And the benefits of this, I should say, um, are are tremendous. Look, I've had the distinct privilege, and it has been a privilege, to, to, to sit with and pray for those who are in the hospital who are afflicted, reflected and their loved ones. I've had the honor to bring comfort and love to people as they lay their loved ones to rest. And I have been blown away by the presence of God inside of those situations. There have been numerous instances in which the family has ministered to me about the goodness and the greatness and the love of our God, even in the midst of our darkest days or any challenge that has come before him. It's an amazing thing that people get to experience sometimes in the depths of our lives. And so, I want us to to see God not as just some ethereal being that's way out there, but a a very present help in times of trouble. That when we feel burdened on this earth, that we would understand him. Uh, And look, as, as you read your life care inserts, you will be reminded that tragedy is close by always. That we have people inside of our bulletin that you will read about who are in the fight of their life against cancer, who are waiting on news, whether it is or is not cancer. We have women who have been widowed We have children with significant health scares. We have heart disease. We have depression. We have loneliness. We have respiratory issues. We have people who can't even function on a normal basis. And so if I could speak just to those of you who are feeling this burden or walking in this or are going to encounter this tragedy of life, you have to know and see God as a very present help in times of trouble. And not only that, but our psalmist, David, would communicate another characteristic of God for our benefit. The third attribute that he writes about in this is that God gets to be a stream that makes glad those he inhabits. That he gets to be a stream that makes glad the city of God. This is what the psalm says, it says, there is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high God. Now, when this psalm was written, you would identify this term city of God would have been identified as Jerusalem God's temple it would have been with God's elect people the Israelites now when Christ comes when he has his death on the cross there's something that happens in the temple the temple was where God resided in his presence on earth in the holy of holies There's a curtain separating only the high priest would go on on a few occasions when Christ dies it says that the curtain between the holiest of holies was ripped from the top down and this is what that means for us When Christ dies, it means that the Spirit of God no longer rests in a building, a city, or a place, but the Spirit of God dwells in the hearts of those who God has saved. And so when you understand that this verse is saying that God provides for us a stream that makes glad the city of God, he is saying that he provides a connection and a resources to those who trust and believe in him, that he shares compassion and grace and mercy and forgiveness through these streams from the father through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit of God as we have faith. And so this is great news for us that we have a source that we can tap into in our darkest days to provide us comfort, peace, protection, guidance on any challenges that we bump up against. And the last thing that David kind of pull, kind of writes about inside of this psalm, is this attribute that, that just, it's not an attribute, it's just a reality that God gets to be God. That just God gets to be God. In the last few stanzas of the psalm, David speaks to the greatness of God. He says that he brings desolation to the earth, he stops wars, and then God through David writes that I will be exalted amongst the nations, I will be exalted on this earth. God is reminding us that he gets to be God, that there is nothing that rests outside of his control and his power, that we should remind ourselves of that on a daily basis, that he will exalt himself over this earth. That there is no force that will ever overcome our God. There is no power that will ever suppress our Lord. There's no armies that are coming that will ever defeat our God. He's victorious in this. Now, does this mean that for his people, his followers, that we may not be killed, maimed, struggle, or injured in the process of life? Of course it does not mean that. The battle does not hinge innately on you and I. God gets to see the bigger picture in this. He knows all that he needs to do to bring as many people back to him before this thing ends and he will do whatever it takes to do that and that means sometimes in our life we experience struggle and pain because God has a greater purpose for it. But he promises us, promises us, and it's not just written in Psalm 46, it is written throughout the entirety of the Bible that this world will not overcome us. That he has, has the victory. And we have to remind ourselves, as the Psalms would say, that our life is but a vapor in the context of our existence in eternity with the Father. He is God and He gets to be God and we have to be okay with that. We have to let Him be that and trust Him even in our difficult days. And so the four things that this psalm reminds me of and I hope will remind you of as well is that our God is our strength and our refuge, that he is a very present help in times of trouble, that he is a stream that makes glad those that he dwells in and he is God above all else. All of these things are true. All of these things are true. Whether they have played out in your life the way that you wished they would is not the issue here, they, they are true. We have to understand that God's plan unfolds in multiple different ways across the vastness of our journeys together here. But he is still God and he is still good and he has promised us these things in scripture. And so in the midst of this journey that we have, uh, there are definitely ways in which we disconnect from this reality of God being this type of person and keep us from ever fully experiencing God in a way that brings us this kind of compassion, care, protection, and grace. Um, and the best way for me to communicate that to you is kind of with this analogy. Uh, so I, I stated earlier today that mom, my wife is pregnant, uh, delivery is something that's coming soon. And I look, I can't even imagine, ladies the anxiety that might want to flare up inside of you as you approach this Olympic sport of a childbirth, okay? Like I freak out just about going to the doctor, let alone having, you know the process. Uh, So I got mass respect for you guys. Uh, As we have gone through this journey, I've sat with my wife a lot, we've gone through some classes together on uh, labor and childbirth and I, I have grown comfortable with the process of delivery and labor. Now, I ain't delivering any babies anytime soon, okay? And I will take my position in that delivery room in my normal spot by her face, right? Because the North won the war, all right? And I don't need to see anything (laughs) south of the Mason-Dixon line there. I'm good with where we're at. It's true. But one of the ideas that has been a hallmark and our process through our first pregnancy and through this one is this idea of pain with a purpose. That yes, the aspects and in the, in the, in the, uh, the act of delivering is painful, yes. But there also is a purpose to it. That out of this long and complex process, we get to hold our child in our arms. And so we have to remind ourselves that this is pain with a purpose. And so what happens with Nikki is she has to retrain her brain in the way that she responds to pain. Because our normal response to pain is to tense up, to swell up, to to fight against, to remove ourselves from the object of that pain. But during labor, the more that you fight and the more that you clam up and fight against this, the more that that event just becomes escalated. And so Nikki has to remind herself and I step in and remind her in times you're strong that this is pain with a purpose. There's pain, yes, but this for a purpose. And instead of fighting it, my wife literally has to relax and let it go and lean into the pain and let her body take over and do what God designed our body to do that she would just rest and be still and stop fighting it, because we know that fighting against it just escalates it. And look, I think this analogy speaks very much to our realities and our response towards trials and struggles and pain in this life. That we tend to, to swell up, to, to clam up, to fight against, to tense up when we come in contact with our trials and our struggles and our pains in our life. That's what we naturally do. But our Father in heaven would remind us this, that all of these things that have happened on earth, whether they are, in his, they are willed by him or he is allowing them to happen, prove to have a purpose. That even through our most difficult days, that our pain and our suffering proves to have an a important, substantial purpose in his purposes on earth. And so it is pain with a purpose. And what can get in our way as we try to seek God as our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble, a stream that makes glad the city of God and our understanding that he above all else is our God is our propensity to swell up and to tense up in these moments of of struggle and we fight against it instead of letting ourselves relax and lean into God in stillness, and silence, in front of him first, that he might help us have peace and comfort and direct us where to go. And so this passage would remind us that as a follower, as a believer, wherever we're at in life, that in the midst of some raging seas or maybe you're just experiencing splashes in the kiddie pool right now, Psalm 46 reminds us that we get to be one thing. We get to be one thing. We have to have a genuine posture of being still and knowing. Be still and know. That's what it says. Be still and know that I am God. That, that is a call for us who are battle-hardened people in the tragedy of life to stop fighting And to be still. The word still is a translation from the Hebrew rapa, which means to let loose or to cease or to stop. It also can mean in various circumstances to to drop, to be weak or to be faint. It indicates two groups of people fighting against each other until somebody steps in and makes them drop their weapon. And it's only in the moment that the fighters stop fighting that they bring their attention and affection towards God. Christians often view this word, be still, as like silence. It's definitely quietness is important in that, but it means to stop your frantic activity, to let down or to be still. And for for God's people, being still would involve us seeking his help in these areas of life. That his people would know and trust that he is God, that he is the sovereign God of the universe. He holds the planets and the stars and all that dwells within those up by his mighty hands. And there is nothing that is outside of his control. We would be weak and drop to let go in those moments. W.S. Plummer uh, wrote 1,200 pages on the psalm, this incredible theologian. And he writes this, he says, when God's people are weak, they are strong. When they are poor, they are rich. When they are brought low, they are raised high. When they are greatly afflicted, they are greatly comforted. Because God is an exceedingly great help in times of trouble. In the book of Exodus, as Moses is delivering the Israelites from the bondage of slavery in Egypt... Uh, as they are running from their captures, or captors, the Egyptians, Moses uh, is presented with an opportunity to, st- to stress about. And God, in a very famous excerpt in Exodus 14, 14, reminds Moses who he gets to be. He says, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. There's great comfort in knowing that Verse. And so let me wrap this up kind of today with some things that just come from my heart. One of, the, one of the things in the areas that I feel like I have learned the most in, in this, in this walk that I've had with Christ, is that I should not lean on myself or trust myself so much. Uh, you know, I've had like, I've had incredible highs that I could claim to be my own. Uh, I have people coming to know the Lord, sweet times with the families, but I've also experienced some really dark days, some lows in which... All of the thoughts in my head were were towards how I might end my life. Uh, Being, uh, crying on the floor. I, I know those moments. And what God has taught me is that I need to lessen my love for my efforts and my ability and to remind myself that it has always been about his strength and his ability. His strength and his ability. As David keeps writing in the psalms, there's another psalm uh, in verse 121 that says, I lift up my eyes to the hill. You may know this one. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. And I find that in life, I have to stop myself and breathe to stop my frantic activity and just be still in front of Him and acknowledge who he is. A.W. Tozer, a brilliant man, he he writes this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And So friend, what comes into your brain when you think about God? Is he this kind of cosmic killjoy that just robs all the fun out of your life? Is he some God that just to be scared? Is he this like Mr. Rogers type God that you think you can just abuse and run over, that he's going to come back to me? Is he somebody to revere? Who and what do you picture when you think about God? Because what Tozer would say is that all of the, w- the way that you think about God shapes all of your interactions, it shapes everything about you, it shapes the way you handle your finances, it shapes the way that you interact with people, it shapes everything that we have in life. So what do you view God as? What do you see your father as? At some point we have to bump up against this fundamental question, because I had to bump up against it in my life. And that is, do you believe that God gets to be who he says he is, in verses like Psalm 46? Do you believe that God is who he says he is? Fundamental question. And God has answered that in my heart, and I I will walk with him uh, as best I can as my refuge and my strength, my present help in times of trouble, my stream that makes me glad and gives me resources, and I believe that he is my God. And because of that, I get to be still and know and trust that practice it imperfectly. I don't always get this right, but I get to be still and trust that. I believe that. And so today, would you remind yourselves, wherever you're at in this, of what God gets to be in your life? What does he get to be in your life? He gets to be your refuge, your strength, A present help in times of trouble, he gets us to be a stream that connects us to the mercies and the blessings of God and above all else, he gets to be God and he is a God that will be victorious at the end of this thing. He promises us that as believers, that those who trust in God, that we will not be overcome. And so take some time today, this month, this year, wherever you're at, to acknowledge God and who he says he is, that you would stop your fighting and tensing up in struggles and pain, that you would understand it is pain with a purpose. Pain with a purpose. And you would allow yourself to be still in those moments and find your direction and your bearings from him because of what he promises that he would be. That we would be still. I can't say that phrase enough. I love it. Be still and know. Be still and know that I am God. And just like those moments that we share with our kids where we just hold them and we get to no verbs are said, no words are said and we just get to look at them and stare them in their eyes and we know that through our burning hearts and our stare that we're just communicating more than we ever could say with our words. That our Father in those still moments wants to provide for us that same type of strength and communication. That in those still moments that God might speak to our heart and remind us that He is God and He gets to be these things in our life. That we would rest in that. So friends, I just, wherever you're at in your burdens of life, uh, wherever you're at in your struggles, I, I pray today and I'll pray this week that you would find comfort and rest in the fact that God gets to be who God gets to be in our life. And this is what he says about himself. And he delivers it. I have sat with people and this, I know this is true. And so rest in this. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today and we just ask for your direction in our life that God, whatever we're dealing with in life, Lord, that we would take a step back and we would allow ourselves to stop our activity and to be still in you, that we would gaze upon you and that Lord, you would communicate to our hearts All these things that you told us were true about us. Be our refuge and our strength. Be a present help in our times of trouble. Be a stream that brings us mercy and grace and gladness. And God, let us trust you as what you are, the God of the universe, that you get to be that and we don't. And that we would trust you and your promises in our stillness. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you have done in our lives. We pray this in the name of Christ who has done for us more than we ever could. Amen.